It'll help if you're able to see the text for yourself with your own eyes so that you're not having to take my word for it. Before we begin, let's ask God for his help. We've confessed it already. Apart from you, we can do nothing. That includes preaching, it includes listening to a sermon, includes reading our Bible. So would you be our help now, Jesus? Would you glorify yourself? Would you make us a praying people? A praying people who care about the salvation of all people. Because you do. So please be our help, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read it together as we begin. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's word. Four verses. This text is a call for you and for me to be devoted to prayer for all people. That's verse 1. And also for our rulers. That's verse 2. So the text is urging us, that's what it's doing, it's urging us to pray for all people, and then it singles out rulers, kings, those who are in authority. And then this passage is going to tell us why we should pray like that. The reason that we should pray like that, verses 3 and 4, because God desires all people to be saved. That's the reason we pray. So that's the text. We're going to start at the end. As we talk about this, we're going to start at the end. We're going to begin with the reason that we ought to pray for all people. And that reason is this. This is the first section. God desires for all people to be saved. That's section one. God desires for all people to be saved. And then we're going to go back to the beginning of our text and we're going to talk about prayer. So God desires for all people to be saved. That's point one. Point two, therefore, we should pray for all people. That's point two. Therefore, we should pray for all people. And finally, we should pray for our rulers. God desires for all people to be saved, therefore we should pray for all people, and we should pray for our rulers. That's where we're going. So let's start at the end, the reason for our prayer. God desires for all people to be saved. When you study the Bible, 
one thing you should be on the lookout for are repeated words, repeated phrases, repeated ideas, things that show up again and again, because if you see something repeated, it might be because the biblical author really cares about that thing. This passage is a good example of that principle. You can look at your text. The words all and people are important in this paragraph. Verse 1, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, verses 3 and 4. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I know that this is not our section tonight, but look at verses 5 and 6. It's part of the same paragraph. For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men. That word men is the same Greek word for people that we've already seen. So there's one God, there's one mediator between God and people, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So Paul's trying to emphasize something here with all and people. And what he's emphasizing is that Jesus didn't just die for one particular group of people. God doesn't just care about a small subsection of humanity. No, this passage is emphasizing God's love for all people. That's what's being pointed out by the Apostle Paul. So the reason we pray for all people, care about the salvation of all people, is because, verse 4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see that? This desire, God's desire for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth is similar to something he says in Ezekiel chapter 18. You don't have to turn there. You can. Please do. I'm going to read it. Ezekiel 18. In the, in the book of Ezekiel, God is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, if you sin, you will die, and I will make sure of it. But if you turn, you will live. And this is Ezekiel 18.32. If you turn, you'll live because or for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. So God's saying, I don't like it when people die. And our passage is agreeing with that. God's desire, his heart, what he loves is when sinners come to him and are saved. That's what he loves. Do you think of God like that? Do you personally think about God that way? Some of us sadly think that God is just waiting on the edge of his seat. He's just waiting with a smile on his face to crush us. If you think of God that way, it's going to affect your whole life. If you think God is just waiting to kill sinners, 
just like you. He's waiting for you to mess up. Now, some of you aren't like that, but maybe you think, well, of course, God loves me, but he is on the edge of his seat waiting to crush everybody who's not like me. That's what God loves. Ezekiel 18 and our passage are saying, God does not get a rush out of destroying sinners. What God loves is to save. Do you remember two weeks ago? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's why he came. And he's patient with the worst of them because he loves to save. Now, God is able to do anything. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians 1.11. All things God works according to the counsel of his will, which means what God wills happens. And yet we know that there will be many people who are not saved. The Bible's clear about that. Here's just one text, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Paul says, those who don't know God will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13, the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So, while our passage is saying God desires, he loves it when men and women are saved and not destroyed. His delight is not in their destruction. Yet... Because he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and some people are not saved, we know there are other things going on. He has reasons for not saving everyone, even though he desires it. Now, that might seem confusing at first, but we all know what it's like to want something on one level and to have another purpose overrule it. I want to eat donuts every morning. That's not a joke. I would eat donuts every morning of my life. I love donuts that much. I would. Every morning I wake up and I desire donuts. But I have a greater purpose, and it's to live past the age of 40. So I don't eat donuts every morning. And you might say, well, if you don't eat them, you don't love them. And I would say, no, I do, I do. But I've got a greater purpose than eating donuts every morning. Is there a mother who wants to go through the pain of childbirth? No. But there are other desires at work that lead her through it again and again. Sometimes again and again and again and again. Like wanting to bring a baby into the world. This is a mystery, but it's important. 
God genuinely desires all people to be saved. But He has greater purposes for His glory than saving everyone. And you might ask, okay, well then what's the point in telling us that God desires all people to be saved if He doesn't purpose to save everyone? The point is this. There is a big difference between a God who justly sends people to hell, everyone who's there deserves it, really. There's a big difference between that God who is sending people to hell and is tickled by it. His highest joy, the pinnacle, the peak, is burning people. Would you pray to a God like that for your salvation? For the salvation of someone you love? That's very different from a sovereign God who sends people to hell in his justice. They deserve it. He's righteous and should. And when he does it for his purposes, it will not steal his joy. But nearest, nearest the heart of who he is. The highest of his pleasures are when people are saved. The difference between those two gods is massive. Does your God like it when people are saved or not? He does. Which means you should like it too. Are there people you don't want saved? You would rather them go to hell. Or at least you just don't care that much about it. Paul would say, God has his mysterious purposes, but he cares. He loves sinners, all of them. We should too not just a particular subgroup of sinners. It's very easy for us to only care about people who are just like us. We only pray for the people of the same ethnicity, tribe as us, class as us, social status as us. What we care about is our kind of people being saved. It's likely that in Ephesus, and that's where Timothy is when Paul's writing to him, it's likely that the false teachers were only concerned about a certain group of people. Maybe they only cared about ethnic Jews coming to salvation. Maybe they only cared about the rich or some other small section of people. But Paul is saying God desires all people, not just Jews, not just Greeks, not just men, not just women, not just Westerners. Not just Africans, not just Asians, educated, uneducated, rich, poor. He really does love them all. And he wants them to be saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, we should pray for all people. This is the second section. Therefore, if that's true about who God is, we should pray for all people. Let's go back to verse 1. 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's the main point of the passage. That's what Paul wants us to do after reading these four verses. If you walk away from these verses and you say, well, what does he want me to do? That's it. He wants you to pray for all people. The reason he tells us in verse 4 that God desires all people to be saved is because he wants us to have confidence when we pray for people to be saved that God wants it too. That's why he tells us. That's how this passage fits together. Now, look back at verse 1. Paul piles up words for prayer here. You see that? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. We could break those down one at a time and talk about how supplications a little different than prayer, prayers a little different than intercession and thanksgiving, but I don't think that's why Paul made the list. Lists, lists can do different things. If my wife hands me a grocery list and it says, get milk, eggs, bread, cheese, glue, I'm not supposed to look at that list and think, her point is that she wants groceries. So I'm just going to go into the grocery store. I'm just going to grab some groceries and pay for them. And chalas, that's what she wanted. She wanted groceries, obviously. No, it matters. That list, all the specifics matter. But you can also list words in order to emphasize one point, one single point. So if I'm giving a speech to soldiers right before we fight a battle, and I say, men, today we're going to fight. Claw, scratch, bite, punch, stab, shoot our way to victory. I'm not telling them, hey, make sure when you're fighting that you bite somebody, you shoot somebody, you punch somebody. No, I'm saying do whatever it takes in fighting to make sure that we win. Paul is piling up these words for prayer to say, in every way that you might pray for all people, in all the ways that you pray, do it. Do it for all people. Now, the question is for us, really practical, what does it mean to pray for all people? Does it mean you need to pray for every individual on planet Earth? Certainly not. Paul doesn't do that. We could not do that. 250 babies, some of the doctors may know this, 250 babies on average are born every minute. I mean, you just want to pray for all the new babies. You cannot do it. It's not possible. So when Paul says pray for all people, he does not mean pray for every individual on this planet. You know he doesn't mean that. We know he cannot mean that. But on the other hand, we could say, well, I can't pray for all people specifically. So I'm going to obey 1 Timothy 2.1. I'm going to go into my room or bed space. I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray, God, bless all people. Amen. I just did 1 Timothy 2.1. He told me to pray for all people and that's what I did. I said, God, bless all the people. That's not what Paul means either. If you just look 
at the ways that Paul prays in the New Testament. We've got tons of examples of Paul praying and also reporting the things that he's prayed. He prays specific requests for specific people every time. I'm just going to give you two examples. One's from Colossians 1.9. Paul's praying for the Colossians. He makes that clear. He says, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays for the Colossians specifically, and he's not just praying, God bless the Colossians. No, he's praying specifics. I want them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's a specific request to a particular person. Here's another example, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Do you hear how specific that is? He's asking God for specific things for particular people. There are way more examples than those two. Just want you to know that prayer in the New Testament is not general. God bless everybody. Bless the churches. Bless the pastors. Bless all the doctors. Bless all the unsaved people out there. Save them, God. Prayer in the New Testament is specific. So, if in your prayers, you're supposed to pray specific things for particular groups of people, but you're not supposed to pray for every single human on this planet, then what does Paul mean that we should pray for all people? He means two things. First, that we should not withhold our prayers from any person. I'll pray for this person, but I'm not praying for her. I'll pray for this group of unreached people, but I'm not praying for them. I don't like them. I'll pray for my friends, but I'm not praying for my enemies. Paul is telling us, God desires all people to be saved. Do not keep back your prayers from any person you might think to pray for because you don't like them or they aren't in your social class, or your ethnic group, or even because they're your enemy. God desires for them to be saved. Pray for them. In fact, I would just say, if you think of someone in your prayers and you don't want to pray for them, it probably means that you should. That's the first thing Paul's saying. Secondly, Paul is saying, expand the scope of your prayers. Our problem is not just that we think of people to pray for and then we withhold it, and Paul's saying, don't do that. No. The goal is that God also wants us to think intentionally about other people and devote ourselves to prayer for them. Don't just pray for your family members, your friends, or for yourself. Expand your prayers. Have you ever thought about doing that? Expand your prayers to include the people that you don't normally think about coming to Christ. 
They may be in your work. You may encounter them every day, and you may think, those, those people don't do the Christian thing. Pray for them. Pray for them. God wants you to pray for them. He loves them. I'm just going to plug something that Luke has put together for us. We have a Pray for the World booklet. If you're just thinking, I, I wouldn't even know where to start on how to expand the scope of my prayers, we have a booklet, a list of nations where the highest number of unreached peoples are, and you'll notice we pray through them every week as a church. We're doing that intentionally. If you want one of those, please come talk to us. We can get it to you, no problem. Expand your prayer. God desires all people to be saved. That's why you should pray for people. And listen to this. Your prayers are how he brings them to salvation. Follow the logical connection of this passage. Pray for all people because God desires for them to be saved. Your praying is the first thing involved in them getting saved. Do you take your praying that seriously? Paul does. If you want people to be saved, ask God for it. And if it doesn't happen the next day, keep asking. Keep asking. Keep coming. Jesus says that's what we want. For you to keep coming. Keep asking. Don't give up. Ask and ask and ask, knowing that he desires all people to be saved. And you praying is essential in that happening. God's word when God's word is shared with somebody and they believe it, specifically the gospel message, Jesus dying for us, he died to take our guilt, he rose to conquer death so that we can have his life. When people believe that message, that's how they become a Christian. That's the way it happens. But prayer is why it happens. If we are not a praying church, we won't be a saving church. We will know the way that God saves, but have no power for it. Grilling, you know what I'm talking about? Grilling meat. Grilling without heat isn't cooking. It's just flipping meat around. The gospel message without prayer is a grill without fire. We know how it works, but it won't without the heat. We need God's power to fall, and it does by prayer. Connect the people in your life with God's desire to save by praying for them. That's my plea to you. Church, pray. This is the, just notice the way this letter is put together. This is the first thing that Paul brings up to Timothy when he wants him to combat false teachers and help people see that Jesus Christ saves sinners. The first thing he wants Timothy to do, he says it in verse 1. Do you see that? First of all, he wants Timothy and the Ephesians to pray. Everything else comes after prayer. 
if we want to see people saved. Set aside daily time to pray. Do you do that? Do you have any sort of schedule where you have daily time to pray? Because you might get real fired up tonight. I don't know. Go home. If you don't plan a time to pray, it will get crowded out. So set a time. Pray for your needs. Pray for God's glory in your life and all the specific ways you want to see it and pray for the salvation of people. No matter what they've done to you, no matter their background, here's another plug. As a church, we have a Zoom prayer meeting on Mondays at 9 a.m. I know that time doesn't work for lots of people. But if you do have time and you want to be a part of that corporate prayer for each other and for the nations, talk to me after the service. I'd, I'd lo- I would love to connect you with that. God desires all people to be saved. Therefore, we should pray for all people. And here's the last point. And therefore, we should pray for our rulers. You see, in verse 2, Paul singles out prayer for kings and all who are in high positions, and he explains why. Verse 2, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that... This is the purpose, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. As we pray for all people, as we pray for their salvation, we should remember to pray for our rulers, kings, governors, presidents, mayors, sheikhs, so that we are able to live peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lives. Now, we need to clarify here, the government cannot make you peaceful. The government cannot make your inner life calm. They cannot make you godly. They cannot make you dignified. Only the Holy Spirit can as you live your life trusting Jesus. But government can make sure that you are given the freedom to live a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified as you follow Jesus, and that's a good thing. Freedom for Christians to display how Jesus makes them peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified is one way that the gospel is commended to unbelievers. Paul's saying all this because he wants people to be saved. That's what this is all about. I mean, just look at how it fits together in verses 2 through 4. He's saying, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why we want this. We want people to be saved. When we are witnessing to Christ, it takes words. You have to talk or write, but it takes words. When we're telling people who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, that witness is helped. It's helped. It leads to the salvation of other people when our lives are peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. What a list! Christians should not be brawlers wanting to pick fights and win fights. 
face-to-face or over the internet. What a counter-worldly list. Peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified. Do you have any role models like this? The world is not going to give you role models like that. And yet, this is the kind of character that Jesus creates, and it's the kind of character that helps other people know him. Our words, our pleading with people to trust in Jesus are helped when our lives are peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. And so we should pray for our rulers that they would allow us to live that way as a display for others to see. We should pray like that. Luke did. Luke did during the service. You'll notice most weeks we pray for our rulers. And this is why. This text is why. Your prayers, Christian, affect the affairs of nations. Because our God holds the hearts of kings in his hands. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Do you think that your prayers can have an effect on a king's heart? They can. And if you're skeptical, you might say, well, of course they can. God can do anything, but it's really unlikely. Well, no. No. That's why Paul's saying we should pray for our rulers because God hears our prayers and he affects the affairs of nations. Pray that God would. He wants you to. Pray for your rulers that their leadership would lead to the thriving of churches, churches whose testimony of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing is backed up by our otherworldly display of peace, quiet, godliness, and dignity. Let's close with verse 3. Paul has told us to pray for all peoples and for kings and rulers. And then he tells us, verse 3, this is so sweet. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Again, you may not think it matters much when you go into your room and you pray that God would save the lost. But God is pleased. It is precious in his sight. He desires men to be saved. So let's seek it more than we do now in prayer. And when we do, we will know the pleasure of God who truly desires all men to be saved. Let's pray. Father, that's our request now. We want to be obedient to this passage now. We want to pray for the unreached peoples in this city. We pray that you would do your work of opening eyes so that they might know you in truth and be saved. And would you use our prayers to do it, Lord? 
Every single one of us has people in our lives who need to be saved. Would you put a burden on our hearts to pray, O Lord? Would you give us endurance so that we pray and ask again and ask again and ask again with the confidence that you desire salvation, God? And would you do it? Would you save many people through the prayers and the witness of this church? Not so that we are made much of, but so that you are glorified. This is good and pleasing in your sight. So help us to desire it, Lord. It's in the precious name of Jesus who purchased the salvation of everyone in this room, everyone who has been saved and ever will be saved. Jesus, you have done it. And so we praise you and bless you and pray these things in your name. Amen.